All right, well, let's go ahead and get started with a prayer. Let's bow. Our Father, we're thankful that you've allowed us to come here. Lord, we, we're so grateful that we have people that we can open up your word with that want to come on a Saturday and want to study things in your word, study things that are, that are meaningful and helpful and necessary so that we can not only know more about you and know more about how you work, but Lord, so we can know more about ourselves and we can know more about how we are to interact with each other, how we're to live in a relationship and fellowship with you. And God, continue to be with us and, and guide us through the study. Help us to uh, speak things that are true. And it's my prayer that we will say things that are profitable, that we can encourage each other and maybe even challenge each other. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 2. So we're going to look at Genesis in just a second. But I want to start by just kind of asking a pretty general question about unity. And so don't even think about unity in a religious sense necessarily. Just think about unity in general. And what are some elements or characteristics of a union or people that are in unity? And when I say that, what I mean is like it could be a friendship. It could be a business relationship. It could be a marriage. It could be roommates. I mean, what are some elements uh, of all of those different things that kind of show that there is unity there? Yeah, Kelly? An agreement of some sort. An agreement, yeah. So uh, what type of agreement would there be in some of those relationships? Principles. Okay, yeah. Conditions, I guess you would say. Yeah. Richard? Roommates. Yeah, Richard's had a lot of roommates. Uh, of roommates. Yeah. <laughs> so he knows all about those agreements and trampling on, I don't think I did that, but you know, trampling on this stuff and everything. Um, what, what's another aspect or an element of a union? Sometimes you think your mindset is the same. Not perfectly yeah. Yeah. So sometimes it's not necessarily something that's written on paper to say, these are conditions, you have to do this, I have to do this. Sometimes it's just saying we're in agreement and we have the same focus, the same mentality and approach. Yeah, that's good. Anybody else? Communication. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. What happens in, I mean, like, if, if we have an agreement and part of that agreement doesn't really necessitate communication, that's one thing. I mean, there's some, probably some business partners that don't really communicate very much, but they, it's not necessary for that union, right, for that relationship. But what about in a friendship or especially in a marriage? Um, I'm not married, but I've never seen a marriage work where there was no communication so um, of some sort, right? Um, I've also seen a lot of communication that's terrible that makes it seem like the marriage isn't working. So that also says that communication is a big deal, right? There needs to be good communication. It's helpful. What else? In strong unions, there's usually some level of respect for the other person. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So that, that actually has almost nothing to do with the actual union or what's bringing you together, that has to do with you as an individual, right? That's, that's really that's really helpful to think about that. What else? I think in a lot of unions there's, maybe this isn't the case in every single one, but there's a sense of authority in a lot of unions. Like in like a parent-child relationship, like there's obviously like the parent is the authority mm -hmm. in a, you know, in a, a work relationship. Like you have a, you know, a union with your, your boss, but he's obviously like the authority in this scenario so there's not always like a uh, there's not always a sense of equality when it comes to authority yeah. sometimes there's like different levels of that but there can still be a union there regardless yeah. of that yeah. 
as long as we agree on that, as long as I recognize that you have the authority in this relationship, whatever that is, then that, that can be a healthy union. Yeah. So most of the times there's this supply and demand in relationships or unions. And so the reason why I have a roommate, well, now I'm married, so it's We're different. Right. But like before, the reason why you have Forever a roommate, roommate is, yeah. is, is well, you want somebody to help pay with half the rent. Like sure. if you could do it all on your own, you probably might. You know, And so there's, there's this idea of like yeah. in this union, in this relationship, there's some things that you offer that I don't bring to the table myself. Right. So, and that's a little bit different than the conditions because the conditions can be like, I need you to do this to not infringe on me. But sometimes it's also like, in order for this to work, we both have to offer something up for each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Anybody else? All right, so just think about those things, and we're going to bring that up a little bit later on. So think about the, th the things that, you know, where we talk about communication, respect. We talk about, the, you know, there's some sort of like almost contract, if you will. But sometimes it's like an unspoken thing where um, we just know that there's an authority there, and I understand that I have to treat you this way, look at you this way. Um, and then also th uh, think about what Bill just mentioned. And just consider those things, and then when we get later on, we'll bring that back up. Um, but let's go ahead and look at Genesis, and let's go to Genesis 2 to start out. So if I was to ask you what's the first union in the Bible, what would come to your mind? What do you think? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, okay, yeah. With each other? With each other. Yeah. God and man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are kind of go hand in hand. I guess Eve wasn't wasn't there with the initial thing with yeah. God and Adam. But yeah, I mean, like, if we look at that kind of uh, just collectively, the first union was not just with people. The first union was God with people. And like, and who set the, the terms of that unity? And how, what, what gave him the right to do that? He's God. He's creator, right? Like, without, without having the creator, you don't have the creation. So he can therefore set the terms of that union, right? And... If you think back and you think in Genesis, um, what would you say is like an overall uh, term or condition that God has set on people being in a union with him? Obedience. Obedience, yeah. Um, and what does he offer up? Because, I mean, he, he doesn't just say, you will obey. He does kind of say that. But, I mean, there, there's something that he offers up as well. What is, what is the, his part of that agreement? He takes care of him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's basically saying, if you will do what I say, if you will be mine, I'll be yours. And to say, to have that said by the creator is pretty powerful. To say, like, I will be, I mean, it's one thing when a husband and wife say that. Like, that, that's very meaningful. That's very deep and very intimate to say, like, I will be yours and you will be mine. But when God, the creator, says that to man. Like, we, we should take that seriously. So that's, that's basically what he says to Adam and Eve. I mean, we don't see that actually said in this chapter. But effectively, that's what he's saying. Like, we will continue this unity. And so let, let's go ahead and look in Genesis chapter 2. And let's look at a few of the elements here. Um, specifically, we're going to look at the union between, that we see between uh, man and woman. But think about also what's going on between uh, mankind and God as well. So let's go ahead and look at Genesis 2. And uh, I'll just get someone to read this. Let's do uh, verse 20 through 25. Who doesn't mind reading that? Are you raising your hand? Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, Genesis 2, 20 through 25. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. 
But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. All right, so who realizes that it's not good for man to be alone? We didn't actually read that verse, but God does. God realizes it. You back up to verse 18. God said it's not good that man should be alone. So whose plan is this for there to be a unity? Like the first idea and the concept of there should be two people that come together to make a, uh, a union. Whose idea was that? That's God's. So I think it's important for us to realize that that wasn't just like a man-made thing where we, we sat back and, you know, thousands of years ago thought, you know what, this kind of stinks going at this alone. We should like, we should get married or what does that mean? I mean, we should like, we should just be together, you know? Um, that was totally God. And what were some of the, the elements of this relationship between man and woman that, that you see that kind of show just the closeness and the unity that they shared? Yeah, so one thing there's the sameness because you know the animals didn't qualify. Right. Right. So there was there was a level of sameness that needed to be yeah. there. And just decided, do you think it was important that Adam was able to realize that as the animals came before? And he, he, he noticed that like there is nothing yet that is compatible for me. There, there's nothing that is here. I, I think that's important that Adam was able to realize that. That there's nobody that he can have this unity with, that he can have this relationship with. Um, so yeah, so it was out of necessity, right? Uh, what, what's something else that we see that's an element of their relationship? <clears throat> Someone they're else? Leaving, they're leaving other things behind. Yeah. So they're, in this case, leaving father and mother to be together. Yeah, but they don't have father and mother yet, right? So what, what are they actually having to leave behind? It's kind of nothing yet. I mean, maybe we could come up with something, but it's like, do what? The animals. Sure. <laughs> they're, they're leaving the animals. To be, yeah, I guess so. I mean, but uh, so far, like, there's, there, and I think what we see here is that this is setting the stage that there's going to be sacrifice and there's going to be uh, some, some things or some people you're going to have to leave behind to have this level of unity, right? What, what are other elements of this relationship between man and woman? They identify, it's almost like they find their identity in one another. Yeah. So she shall become woman, she shall be named woman because she came from man, as opposed to whenever he was naming all the animals. Like there is, there's some separation between him and the animals with the woman. There's the, like, I, you've, your identity's in me and, and the two shall become one, so my identity's also in you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. Anybody else? In a way, a man that was kind of like a little bit of space between him and God, because now the woman is the picture, which mm -hmm. is he recognized as the bone of his bone and his flesh of his flesh. So it's like that he has more relationship with a woman more than where he always has like a fellowship with God almost every day. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're going to see though is that even though God has blessed man with this opportunity to have this unity and this union with someone else that he calls woman, uh, that we know as, as Eve, um, that, that actually, like God still wanted to have this perfect unity with man though. But because of certain things that go on that we're going to see, it broke down. Um, 
But God, God still wanted it to be like, hey, we're still one. As you two are have are have been two and are now one, we're still going to be together. Uh, but that that just doesn't that doesn't happen. So. So just to add on Cecilia's point, I think at least what I what I was hearing was God looked down and said, even though I have a perfect relationship with Him, that's not enough. Yeah. And I don't mean to say like God is saying I'm lacking, but I think what He's saying is this human needs another human mm -hmm. to have this relationship. Yeah. With, even though we have this perfect relationship. Yeah. Um, so because they hadn't fallen yet. Right. He was still a perfect. Yeah. Relationship. I'll just use that term with God. And even in that state, God says it's still not good mm -hmm. that He's alone. He still called Him alone. Yeah. Even though He was with God. So. Yeah. Um, there's still some relationship among humans, mm -hmm. right? In, in this example, specifically husband and wife. That yeah, it shows us something about God and His relationship, and specifically Christ and the Church and things like that. But it, I think it even goes beyond that. God said that's just the right way to do it. I don't think he came up with this like after the thought, like, oh man, I messed up. I was crazy. What are these people? <laughs> right, right. You know, it was his plan. Yeah, um, I think so too. And I think that's why it was important for the animals to come before Adam. So Adam understood that there was something that God was giving him that was needed. Not just like, well, I guess God just does what he does. No, like, it, it helps to have the understanding for us to understand that that's, that, uh, that's God's plan. Like, to be able to see his plan carry through instead of things just happen, that, that's helpful. Um, that, that, um, that, that relationship was, because some people today are married. Mm -hmm. And so, when you look at it, it's not good for men to be He's not necessarily saying, uh, I, I think it's a Gotcha. So instead of us looking at it as like, okay, so God's solution for every person is that they be married in order to not be alone. We see just the general principle of God blesses uh, man with other with more people. Um, yeah, but I mean, we, we understand that like the way that it works out. Like, if well, I won't get into that. But like, I mean, it was needed for God to create woman as the first companion, right? Uh, very practically, like that was needed. Um, and maybe we'll get into a little bit. I think it's, you know, people today, I, I, you know, I know, know people that they're not married. They, mm -hmm. they don't live with their their nuclear family, their, their brothers and sisters and things like that. And their companion is their, their, their animal, their dog. Sure. And, yeah. and a lot of people look at, at their pets, cats or dogs, like almost like they're almost human. Yeah. And, but that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. It yeah. wasn't enough. That yeah. wasn't yeah, it's hard for me to relate to those people, but I, but I know those people <laughs> exist. But, um, now, what, one other element of this relationship that I think is important just to know, and then we'll go on to Genesis 3, is that when you look at verse 24 and 25, uh, specifically verse 25, it says that man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So how is that possible? Like, when you have two people, and they're totally exposed to each other in every way, but... They are unashamed. I, I don't understand what that's like, really. What, what do you think is unique about this 
this relationship where that could be true. Like there's nothing to hide. There's no shame in any mm-hmm. actions that they've done. So yeah, the the other person completely knows you, and you know the really the other person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because because there's a there's a dependence and a reliance on each other, and there's a I mean obviously with them like they're not gonna be judging each other, <laughs> like they're they're there to help each other and build each yeah. other up. So yeah. there's, there's not this, I'm better than you, you're better than me, so, you know, mm-hmm. let's fight this out. You know, don't show me your weaknesses because I'm going to jump all over you. <laughs> right, right. It's alright, how can we take these things and because we're one flesh, make each other better. Yeah, it's good. Bob, what were you going to say? I was just going to say that it's kind of a, in some ways it's a tough question because when you're, when you're in a married relationship, you have that shame. Right. You know, but Adam and Eve, once they, once they uh, sinned, yeah. then they were. Right. So that's, to me, that's a little different. So that's, that's the change, right? It is that as soon as sin entered, everything changed with that. So all the things that we listed earlier that were elements of a healthy unity and relationship, they had that. Um, they didn't have to have agreements with each other. Their agreement was with God. And then everything about themselves was just like, in perfect harmony, um, they complemented each other in ways. They, um, they 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 understood level of authority that was there, and they knew that because they, they had this relationship with God, and they knew He was the authority. So I mean, every, everything was just working perfectly. And then it almost seems like I don't know how many days after, but it seems like it was like day one of having woman. This is like a wonderful thing for for man and for woman. And then day two, they just totally mess it up. That's what it seems like when you're reading the, the narrative. So let's go ahead and go to Genesis 3. And will someone read Genesis 3, 6 through 12? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both them, of both of them, were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig tree together, and made themselves covering. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him. Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. <clears throat> and he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. All right, so... Here we really see a total breakdown of this relationship, not just with mankind and God, but even with, with man and woman. And what we see is that now they have to hide themselves, not just from God, but almost from each other. Uh, they have to, this, this unashamed and totally naked and barren uh, relationship that they had is, is now done away with. And, and what was the catalyst for that? Well, it, it was sin. Like, sin came in, and it broke down that unity. And what, what do you think, or what, when you read this, what is, uh, I guess, 
a big sign that there was a true breakdown in unity between God and man. Yeah, they're hiding from God, and what does God do? He calls out, where are you? Now, does anybody actually think that God didn't have the ability to know where they were, or did God didn't know where they were? Like, oh, you had you found a really good spot. I can't believe you found that hiding spot behind that tree. I never thought to look there. No, none of that was going on. But that shows, like, the fact that he says, where are you, really shows and signifies this breakdown in the relationship. More than anything, I, I think it shows that uh, man and woman, they, they were hiding themselves from God. God knew where they were, but they didn't really know where God was. So it's like, where are you? You're, you're far away from me now, is basically what's happening there. Um, so there is unity and then sin enters, and it all, it, all it does is create separation. Separation from God and separation from each other. They have to hide themselves not only from God, from each other, though. Um, and so you, you see what happens in, in the strife between man and woman, because uh, what happens when God is speaking to Adam here? And he says, you're basically like, why'd you do this? Do what? Yeah, you blame it on the woman. Yeah. There's a woman that you gave to me. Then that, I mean, that shows discord. That all the, all the elements of like respect and authority and this thing of like, oh, you bring this table, I bring this table, and it just it fits together. But it, that just shows that it, it's broken down in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't ask for this. <laughs> I, yeah. 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 Which is kind of funny because if you compare that to how Israel is, as soon as God does something good for them, then they meet some sort of issue, and then they're like, it'd have been better for us to be back in Egypt. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how he's like, why did you even give me this woman? <laughs> uh, forgetting that he realized himself that I'm alone. Yeah. And, and when you have the, the good, and we were talking about this, when you have good and perfect harmony and unity, the end of chapter two, he, it's almost like he's proclaiming before God, this is you know, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. But as soon as sin and discord comes, it's like he can't get far enough, like far away, far far enough away from her. And I, yeah. and I think like that's what you see, like that's what sin does to relationships. Where before you were close and you were willing to talk about your closeness and and the people that you have in your life, what sin does is it creates barriers between mm-hmm. you and other people. Yeah, that's good. And then we even see the woman blames the serpent. And where did the serpent come from? Well. I think that effectively they're, they're, they're still both blaming God, really, right? So it all breaks down because of sin. I think we kind of understand that that's what happens. But just to make sure that we know that that's still true today, that our sin causes a breakdown in our relationship with God. But it also causes there to be a breakdown in our relationship with other people. Like if we want to know why there's a bunch of issues in marriages, in businesses, in uh, families, in friendships, all that stuff there's usually some sort of level of deception, dishonesty, uh, selfishness, pride. There, there's something going on there that is causing there to be that breakdown in that relationship. So imagine that you've just gotten married. Um, and then the day after is, oh, we're, we're going on the honeymoon. And then like day two of the honeymoon, all of a sudden there's a breakdown in the relationship. I'm not saying that's exactly what's happened here. I don't think they had a honeymoon. I mean, they were in paradise. They, they lived in it. So uh, <laughs> the honeymoon was every day. But, um, but imagine, like, seriously, like, day two or day three. And it's, like, all this excitement, all this, like, oh, this is awesome. And then this happens. Mm-hmm. That just sounds awful. So God's plan was beautiful, and they recognized it was beautiful. Then man's plan, if you want to call it a plan, it really isn't a plan. It's more impulse than anything. But our devices and our, it just breaks down everything that God has just done. 
But it doesn't really break it down. What it does is it causes there to be another plan from God. Because there's nothing that man can do now to like fix this. So when you, when you read in Genesis 3 and you have the curses, through the curses actually, God is also showing how there can still be this unity. How this is going to operate now. Like, now that sin is into the world, what are they going to do? How can they have this situation where they can be in unity with each other and unity with God? Well, God is kind of offering up, even though they're, we call them curses, God's actually offering up still his plan and solution for the unity. So, so that's, that's like day three, right? So then eventually, you know, you go off and you have kids and everything. And then imagine like, that's kind of like a culmination of showing that like, things are kind of better. Things are good now. Like we, we kind of, although we broke down a long time ago and it was terrible, we've kind of come together and been unified again. And then what happens in Genesis 4? You have the story of Cain and Abel. <laughs> and as soon as it seems like there's a healthy, I, I'm just assuming this is the case, there's like a healthy family unit, as healthy <coughs> as it can be in a world with sin now, what, what happens in the story of Cain and Abel? All those same things that led to Adam and Eve, I guess, separating from each other, separating from God, now we see happen again with Cain and Abel. So let's read just a little bit in, in Genesis 4. Um, let's see. So let's break this down a little bit. Well, I, don't, I really don't want to uh, take away too much. So let's do, let's do uh, start in verse 5, and someone read uh, 5 through 10. Who does mind reading 5 through 10? Go ahead, Corey. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and he fell on his face. Or his face fell, sorry. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is, your, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said to him, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. How, does this, how is this also a reflection of what we just saw in Genesis 3? God's asking kind of where his brother is. Almost the same situation. God knows, but he's still, there's, he realizes there's a separation between yeah. man and God. Again. When God asks that in Genesis 3, that's kind of a signal to us of the recognition of a breakdown in the unity, right? Um, was this unity between Cain and God already broken down? What do you guys think about that? I mean, we can, we can take a couple minutes on this. So, so when he offered up sacrifices to God, were, they were not acceptable, right? Go ahead, Kelly. It says in the very first verse that you read that God had no regard for Cain mm -hmm. nor his sacrifice. So if God is not having a healthy regard for Cain, then there's absolutely a break in the relationship beforehand. Yeah. What did God set as the term in order for Cain to be accepted by God? You should do well. Just do well. Obey. Richard said that earlier, right? Like that, that's, it, it goes all the way back to the beginning. It goes all the way, and we see it carry through really all of Scripture where the expectation from God is that like even when 
there's almost kind of a, a signal of a breakdown in this relationship between man and God. What he really wants is just for us to do well, to obey him. And then somehow, because God is able to do this, now there's unity again. Like, I don't really understand how that happens fully, where my, anything I do can move the needle to where somehow I go from being unacceptable to accepted by God. But that's what he says. So, so there, that opportunity was there for Cain. I would almost say that, although it says that he did not have regard for Cain, um, I would almost say that it wasn't until Cain responded out of anger and out of some other emotions that where he killed Abel, that now, now there's a breakdown, a total breakdown in that unity. What, what are some things that, that we see in the story that clearly led to Cain, not only, not only having this breakdown with him and God, but this breakdown in the relationship between him and his brother. I mean, they, if you think about it, they both offered up skills that allowed there to be a really good unity between the two of them. Like one of them is working in the field and the other one is working with the cattle and the animals and stuff. And so if you think about it, like they have a really good partnership potentially. What, what causes there to be a breakdown between the two of them and between Cain and God? Jealousy and rivalry. Yeah. Jealousy, rivalry. Um, do you think that that was just like inherent? Like Cain was just a super competitive guy, so he just had that? <laughs> it seems like Cain desired the favor of God. Yeah. Like, like that, was his, that was his ultimate desire here. And that's not a bad desire. But he, when, when he finds out that he doesn't have that, he responds in anger. Yeah. So it's his, it's his response to something that would normally be a good thing, a right. good desire that gets him. But God said he could have that favor. Richard? Yeah, I was, I was going to say that, I mean, it's, it's interesting that he still brings something to God, but he brings what he wants to bring. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's not something that God had a regard for. And so the fascinating thing is that his anger is then directed toward the person that did what God wanted, not toward God. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't stand out in the field screaming at God, accept my sacrifice, or I'm going to just stay mad. Yeah. He actually turns it toward someone he has access to and, and expresses his anger that way. So again, it's the same idea from the previous chapter. The, the breakdown with God manifests itself mm-hmm. in a breakdown with people. Yeah. We can't have the right relationship with people without the right relationship with God. As much as we think we can, it's it's, it's spiritually impossible to have a Right. Without the correct relationship. That's good. I mean, we can have certain aspects of the relationship just because we realize through messing up or just observing others that, like, we need to have this as part of this relationship. But if I don't have this relationship with God, you're you're right. I can't have this this perfect unity with with anyone else. Um, So yeah, I think I think it's right. Jealousy. um, There was there was a sense of wanting to be accepted by God but on His own terms. So when that wasn't accepted by God, then uh, God offered up uh, an option and Cain didn't take that and he took it out on Abel, kills him. And then as, we, as you kind of fast forward down a little bit, you see uh, what God then says to him. He says that you're cursed from the ground in verse 11. And then he says that when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to, yield to you its strength. You're going to be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And then Cain's like, this is too much for me. And then there, there's almost like this escape option that Cain kind of sees. It's like, maybe someone will just kill me. 
I don't know who's going to kill him, but he sees, I'll, I'll just die then. If that's, if that's how it's going to be, then I'll just die. And God's response to that is that, no, that's not how it's going to happen. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance is going to be taken out on them sevenfold. Like, now that Cain has done this, God looks at him, and he's going to make sure that Cain continues to live in this perpetuity, uh, in, in perpetuity, right? Forever. I think even bringing it back to some of the unity stuff, I think that whenever Cain kills or destroys the unity with the, with his brother, like it kills part of him too. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to realize that whenever in our relationships with people and in, in our disunity with people because of sin, whenever, you know, we're not killing people, but there's the whole you're dead to me. I'm never talking to this person again. I'm never like whenever you're doing that to people, like you're, you're killing part of yourself as well. And yeah. like we just got to see like part of, the, you know. Like, that, that's not the route that you want to take. That right. escape route is not better for you. Yeah, that's good. In a sense, maybe Cain realizes that without that closeness with God, it's, it's just, you know, I mean, he lashes out and he kills his brother. But now it's like he's, it, there's like even more separation between him and God. Now God is saying you're going to be a wanderer. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, he's going to be alone. You know, he's yeah. going to be away from, from God even further. That he sees yeah. that as like you know I might as well be dead then yeah you know? and, and then God actually says there in verse sixteen that uh, well, we see well God says that He puts a mark on him but it says then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord so there's like an outward showing of this separation that was already there and then it's even it's like amplified even more because what He does is it says He sat on the land of Nod east of Eden so He was already separated from God. Then there's this clear separation, and then he goes even farther, right? So, again, all that stuff that was great about the, about Genesis 2, Cain doesn't really seem to have that in his life. And it all stems because of sin, right? That's the breakdown. Um, so we only have a, a few more minutes, and there was a lot more I wanted to get through. But uh, I, I do want to mention that there were another story that came to my mind from the New Testament that I, I think has a lot of similar aspects to this that I don't know if we really look at it this way is the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Usually I think we look at that to see, well, this is how, um, I think, I think we do see that those elements of this young man that drove him to go off into a land alone and to live in mire and all this disgusting stuff that he was involved in that that was like selfishness and pride and jealousy, whatever. But then when he comes, so we see that. But I, I want to also offer up one thing, which is that not only do we see that the father was there wanting to accept him back, if he would just come back home and obey and do well, but also what we see is that while he's gone, there seems to have been stirred up in his, his older brother this jealousy and anger and frustration. And then when he sees that the father is willing to sacrifice uh, the prized possession, right, to, uh, for, the, for the feast. For the younger brother that had gone off and just lived in his prodigal life, you know, lived away from the father, the older brother responds in a way that almost seems fitting, but it's not. And I just want to uh, just kind of mention this, that just because the younger brother decided to break down that unity and to go off doesn't give the older brother the right to then, when he comes back, to lash out in a way that continues that disunity and that breakdown of, of union. Like, if the father is going to allow there to be someone accepted back in the house, 
so that there can be now this family uh, dynamic that needs to be there, this family union, then the older brother needs to also accept that. But understand that our actions affect people that way. That when we live a life of selfishness and pride and greed, and when we just want to do our own thing, that it has an effect on other people. And when we're affected by other people's actions, we, need, we don't need to let jealousy and anger and bitterness affect us to where we don't allow that to, to come back together, that relationship to come back together. I just wanted to mention that real quick. Um, I also want to point out that God doesn't always reveal his plan to you. He doesn't always say, here's what I'm going to do. What, what he does do is he sets the conditions, and through that we're able to see, oh, that's God's plan. That's how we're going to be in union with God, and that's how we're going to be in, in union with other people. That's how we're going to have a healthy relationship that just, that just works. But he doesn't always say on the front end, hey, this is what I'm going to do, and everything I'm going to do I'm going to explain to you. Sometimes we just see it happen. And then when people go against what God has said, that's where it breaks down. So understand that by God giving commandments and, and things that we should obey, and by us doing what we want to do, we're rejecting God's plan and making our own plan. And that, that plan that we make never actually leads to God, nor does it lead to healthy relationships with other people, like, like uh, has already been said. Um, well, I, I do... Let's see. A couple more minutes, then. Um... <laughs> We started late, so it's okay. Uh, let's, let's go real quick. Uh, well, who do you think we'd have time to go through Zephaniah later, or should we go ahead and do it now? If you want to do this, do I? Whatever you feel like you're the head honcho here, buddy. I like it when you say that, yeah. Um, <laughs> let's go ahead and go to Zephaniah. <clears throat> so Zephaniah and... Just quickly, we're not going to have time to, to really read this that much, but uh, does anybody, uh, Bill or anyone, I mean, I know this because we talked about it, so I know you know, uh, can anybody kind of summarize what we see in Zephaniah? Even if you just want to skim through, what, what's going on in Zephaniah? What, Richard? Judgment. Judgment on who? Huh? Everybody, yeah. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, this is a really good guess. Yeah. Judgment. And a minor prophet will be talking about judgment. Um, so judgment on everybody. How do we know it's everybody? <coughs> is it because the heading says judgment on everybody? Verse 2. Okay. What, is, what does he say? I'm going to remove everything from the face of the earth. Yeah, this, this is for everybody. This is for everybody and everything. But, but through Zephaniah, what we actually see is that God still wants to kind of save. God still wants to, for there to be um, not just a remnant, but God really wants for there to be an option for that not to happen, right? Um, but part of that is, is going to be that God is going to have to punish. Like, even though he's going to, even though he, he wants to sweep everything away from the face of the earth and all of that, um, that, that's not what he winds up doing, uh, or at least that's not what we see in Zephaniah. What we see is that uh, there have been people that have been uh, vicious people brought a lot of reproach on themselves. They've been living in, uh, in lives of jealousy and uh, arrogant lifestyles. And so God's going to bring them into judgment. And so you see that in chapter 2 in particular, that, that he's going to bring judgment on all of the enemies of Judah, all the nations around, all the people that have treated them a certain way. Um, but what you also see is that God also says he's going to judge Judah. And why, why would God judge Judah? If you look in, let's see, 
think it's I think it's in chapter three, uh, maybe the first uh, few verses there. Rebellion. Yeah, they've been rebellious. They've defiled themselves. And, and you see that verse 3, her officials within her are roaring lions or judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. I thought in order for us to be unashamed, we had to be in perfect unity with God. <coughs> How are they able to have no shame? When you make yourself callous to something, uh, you stop caring about, or you stop, or whenever you really, legitimately, really stop caring about something, then it, it removes some of the shame factor. Yeah, and, that, and that's what sin does to our hearts. If we, if we let sin continue, if we just keep on almost embracing that lifestyle, then we get to that point. Where as God presents himself as just and righteous and holy, and we see ourselves and we are none of those things and we don't even care about those things, there's, no, there's not even a shame about it. And we're fine being open to God in that way until there's actual judgment, right? Then, then, there's, then we don't want that. But until that happens, it seems like they're okay with that. And so there's a word of caution there for us that if we live our lives the way we want to and we just say, well, whatever, I mean... I'm going to do what I want to. It, it seems to work out for me so far. But at some point, we're, we need to realize we're living a life that's just totally unashamed before God. But then there will come a day where he's going to come in judgment. And then we're going to realize that there was so much cause for shame. That we should have turned back. We should have put all that away. We should have been pursuing God's plan the whole time. So that's, that's what they are hope, hopefully will realize. Um, but then you look at verse 7. And this is God saying, surely you will fear me. So this is like, this is the option they have. You will fear me. You will accept correct, correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. So as they are unashamed before God with their sin and following their leaders that are just bring on more and more sin upon the nation, God actually offers there to be an option for, okay, if you will turn to me and if you will allow me to correct you, then it, it'll be okay. And what was their response? No thanks. We'll, we'll just keep on doing what we want to do. Um, all the more they were eager to make their deeds corrupt. That they have no desire to, to change any of these things. They have no desire to, to be conformed to, to what God wants them. Um, so God's going to judge them. And what they need to do is let's go, let's go down to verse number 9. He says, for at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in the, your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies. Nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. So God is going to actually uh, punish them. But he's going to do so kind of for his own 
good so that then there will be a people that will serve him. And, and notice the elements of those people and, and the relationship not only between each other but between them and God. It says that they're going to come before the Lord pure speech. They're all going to be saying the same thing. And then it says that they're going to be in one accord. The New American Standard says that they're going to be shoulder to shoulder. So not only are they literally together and they're just right there next to each other doing the same thing, there's this idea in the New Testament of bearing with each other. And that's that shoulder to shoulder kind of approach. And then what he says is that these are going to be people that are humble and lowly. They're going to seek refuge in the name of the Lord. That these people aren't, aren't going to speak lies. There's not going to be deceitfulness. They're not going to lead each other astray. This is going to be a, a beautiful uni union that's going to happen. But it's going to be because God's going to have to punish them at first. And then there's going to be this, uh, this remnant, if we will. But if you actually look at it, I don't know if this is only intended for Judah. Like, if God said he was going to do this in verse 2 to the, the whole earth, if you look at what he actually says in, uh, if you go back to, let's see, um, the last verse of the book. Yeah, yeah, verse 20. Um, we go ahead and read that. Yeah, it says, At that time I will bring you in, even at the time when I gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Yeah, so this is, it says, I gather you together. And it's this idea of like, I'm going to do this for all the peoples of the earth. And if you go back actually to chapter 2, verse 3, this is right before he gets into a lot of the judgments on these enemies. He actually says, and this is to people that are not Judah. These are not Israelites. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. So what God is wanting to do is he's wanting to take people in and he's wanting to hide them. He's wanting to, to be their refuge, to be their rock, to be their God. And it's not just people of Judah. It's actually all people. But it's going to be the same type of people. They're going to be humble. They're going to be lowly. They're going to praise him. They're going to be together. And it's kind of interesting that he says that um, that you may be hidden. And then if you think back to what we read in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, or excuse me, Genesis 3 and Genesis 4, where people were, were hiding something from God. Anybody know what Zephaniah's name actually means? The Lord hides. Yeah, Yahweh hides. Um, when we try to hide, it actually doesn't work out. There's no hiding. And there's no unity. Everything breaks down. We see everything just kind of go to shambles. But when we seek refuge in the Lord and we want to hide in him, then he actually allows us to be in perfect unity, not only with him but with one another. So this is a beautiful picture of all people everywhere are able to seek refuge in the Lord, but only if we seek the Lord. And if we are the type of person where we're humble and lowly, and we just want to put away sin and lies and deceitfulness. So really all the things that seem like they're our very nature, we have to actually put those away to actually seek God. And then we actually see that he brings everything together. What man broke down, God can actually bring back together. So I know that was a lot. I'm going to blame it on starting late, but I also know that I just went really long, so sorry about that. Um, let's take a uh, just like a four or five minute break, and that way if you need to get water or anything like that, or if you need to go to the restroom, you have time to do that, and then Bill will start with the next session.